Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, over there in Coryton, the Night Owl himself, <laughs> ready to make his Florida, Tennessee pick, noted <laughs> early Florida, Tennessee picker himself, no. Brent Hubs no, no. of AllQuest.com. Brent, how are you? I'm good, man. What is it? You got to see it to believe it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It's hard not to see it based on what we saw out of that Florida team um, tonight against Utah. Um, just, just a lot of, I mean, a lot of self-inflicted wounds and a lot of errors. And um, it's interesting that you know there's times where Florida found rhythm and looked like, hey, they found something, and then there was just a colossal, you know, kind of meltdown. They couldn't protect up front. Um, I didn't think I didn't think Utah managed the game particularly well. Uh, mm. A couple of strange things: take the time out at the end of the first half, um, force Florida to punt with 40 more seconds on the clock. You might get a field goal, might mm. get in the field goal range there, uh, and then the decision to kick the field goal after your after your punter had pinned them inside the five back to back punts. Like, why, why are you trying a 56 yard field goal at that point? Don't don't give Florida any kind of life. Just put that game mm. away. So, a um, little suspect on on ga- some game one management. A lot of coaches watching that one tonight probably added a few things to their checklist, like make sure there's no double numbers on a, on a punt return. That's probably at the top of everybody's list. Uh, when they do their Friday uh, walkthrough checklist, let's make sure we've got all this right. Um, and, again, that, that's why double numbers are, are pointless. I know it's a recruiting thing, but uh, you should get out of the world of double numbers because it just doesn't. There's no point in putting yourself in that situation. I mean, look what it cost you. It cost you seven yeah. points. Huge Is there a Tennessee player right now? Is there a twin- Tennessee number that we would be in jeopardy of of going down that rabbit hole? Well, you got, you got Danico Slaughter at zero, and you got Jalen Wright at zero right now. Yeah. So 
for them can't play on special teams. Um, so there, there's a couple here and there. I, I just, you know, I, I don't see the, I don't see the override. I mean, again, I know it's recruiting and every kid wants a single digit and in the world of the transfer portal and the one-time transfer, if I don't get my single digit, I'm going to take the ball and go home. So I get some of that stuff, but you just, you just can't allow that. That just can't happen. Yeah. I don't care if it's game one. I don't care if it's game 13. You just can't have that mistake. You got too many people in coaching pullovers standing on the sideline over there to allow that to happen. Somebody's got to be mindful of that. It's just a, I don't, you know, it's just a no, no. You can't, can't allow that to happen in my opinion. Did you see that Bud Elliott tweet about it? No, I didn't see what he said. It's so great. And uh, the Florida State fans and my cousin went to Florida State, they're all having a really good night. They're really enjoying uh, what we're seeing from Florida out of the gate here, Brent. But he said over the summer, he said, quote, there's a difference in knowing the Saban plan involving hiring 200 polos and knowing how to manage them. There's probably some truth to that, you know? I mean know your role know what you're supposed mm. to I mean somebody has to be in charge of that deal and, and again that'll be brought up on the flight home and that'll be in the meeting but it cost you seven points mm. it was a huge turning point in the ball game right there because you had to stop you know and then all of a sudden you give them life and and it turns a 7-3 game into what 14-3 and at that point at the half 14-3 felt like it were at that point 14-3 felt like it was 28 to three. I mean, that's what, that's what Chris Fowler and Kurt Herbstreit mm-hmm. basically said to open the second half. I mean, they were right in the Florida obituary in the first possession of the, of the third quarter about, well, no moral victories, but you got to learn about yourself here in the second half and get back on the plane and, and head to the house. Um, so that offensive line looks rough. That was my biggest takeaway is that offensive line is not good. And if that no. offensive line's not good, if you're Tim Banks and this is something you and the VolQuest guys have talked about all summer is like, is Tennessee going to be able to get pressure only sending four? Because that will be a big, big help for the secondary in this group. It seems like against Florida, they might be able to get home with four with some of these guys. Yeah, you know, Florida was out without a center, without their starting center. Um, mm. You know, so we'll see where where that goes. But they didn't play very well off the edge with the tackles. Yeah, um, you know, people have to get home. The one thing they they and I think you'll see more of this is is that quick passing game. Get it out, get it out of Mertz's hands as quick as you can. The quick outs to the tight end. A lot of tunnel screens underneath stuff. I think you're going to see a, a good bit more of that stuff from Florida probably moving forward if they don't feel like they can protect. And um, so we'll see. You know, Mer, Mer, you know, Graham's a guy that at times looks like he can play and looks like he's got a rhythm and it's all going well. And then one bad thing seems to lead to kind of multiple bad things or, or gets him out of rhythm. You know, pretty- they didn't complete a third down conversion tonight. Well, they were in third and long all night, you know. So, I mean, you know, they were because I mean, think of what well, they had third and they had third and one twice and false start, yeah. turn it into third and six, and um, they just a lot of self inflicted wounds. Um, and again, I, I didn't think Utah was overly aggressive. I thought they played a little bit passive in the third quarter, just trying to get mm-hmm. home a little bit, similar to what Tennessee did in the fourth quarter last year against Florida. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I don't. I don't think Utah's a world beater. Um, Florida's obviously got plenty of things to work on. That's a tough trip. I mean, that's a hard place to, to go. Uh, that's not a game you want to schedule. Mm. There's no way Billy Napier had any desire to go out there and play that game. Now you get back home and, and see what you can figure out in two weeks before Tennessee comes to town. Is this like I want Danny White to log on Twitter.com again tonight and be like, 
See, you wanted us in Utah to open the year. You wanted to make that trip to Provo. You wanted to just go out and see it. This is what can happen. We're going to stay in the, the friendly confines of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, actually. We're going we're gonna to basically play a home game. Thanks, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, and they'll, they'll actually end up making more money by playing in Nashville, even though they mm. bought to get out of the game for, from BYU. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fi- when you read the contract, it's a pretty good financial deal. I still have no idea why Virginia wanted to play this game. Hmm. Like, I mean, I'm not saying schedule Richmond or Liberty because it's probably not going to go very well for you where you're at right now. But, I mean, bring Eastern Kentucky over. Or bring, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're not making enough money to go to go play this game. Tony Elliott's in his second year. He needs wins. Yeah. Right? I mean, how much better would it be for Billy Napier if he had played, um, you know, Florida Atlantic tonight mm-hmm. and won that game and be 2-0 and when Tennessee comes to town? instead of losing to another ranked opponent to kick off year two for, for him. So I don't I don't think that the Virginia administration did Tony Elliott any favors by scheduling this game with Tennessee, you know, kind of on short notice, obviously. It's a great win, you know, great win for Tennessee to, to not go to Provo and not have to deal with that trip and make more money in Nashville, get in front of your home fans in the mid-state, and then play an opponent that's a power five opponent, but you're a four-touchdown favorite over him. Uh, last thing on Tennessee, Florida here, Brent. Um, when you look at this matchup now, based on what we've seen from Florida, one of the things that stood out to me is I, they kind of remind me of Kentucky last year, where Will Levis kind of in the pocket, bad offensive line. They struggled to run the football. You thought they would be better running the football. Johnson and Etienne did nothing uh, tonight, and that was probably one of the biggest surprises to me was they just could not run on Utah, who was out their starting linebacker, out defensive linemen. Like, they were missing a lot of bodies, too, and Florida just could not run the football at all. I just look at it where I'm like, I, I think this is this reminds me a lot of what we saw from Kentucky, where I just think they're going to be okay most weeks defensively. I think they'll get better as the season goes along. But offensively, I think it's just going to be stuck in neutral. Um, and it's just going to be very frustrating where you're going to be, they're going to be able to drag some teams to the, to the pit where they did to Georgia. I don't know if you remember that where it was cold and it was like 17 to 10 and they weren't going to win the game, but they just brought you down to the darkness. They were the bane of the sec. They were born in the darkness (laughs) and, uh, that was just kind of what they were all year. I just, that's my gut on Florida, Tennessee right now. Well, I mean, that's again, the biggest, if you're a Florida fan, the biggest surprise tonight is that you could run the football you're mm. not better running the football you didn't have a very good run game last year outside of anthony richardson so i think that is a huge concern if you're a florida fan leaving this game tonight is that that they struggled to run the football um i, I think you know if you're going to put it in, in graham mertz's hand you know 45 times that's that's not a great combination he needs a run game he's more of a play action guy I know they did some quick game stuff, which they'll have to do if that line doesn't improve. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't, I don't completely disagree with, with your analogy. Um, they just the, the fact that they couldn't run the football tonight is is certainly a head scratcher for them moving forward because they're going to struggle if they can't run the football. And and how do you get back and find a run game? Um, there's only so many jet sweeps you can run. You can't you can't live off the jet sweep, you know, for your entire run game. And so we'll we'll see kind of where they are, you know, you know, moving you know moving forward if they can figure out and find a run game because they 
they didn't have a semblance of one, but they got to stay on schedule too. I mean, they yeah. got to eliminate the self-inflicted wounds and the penalties and some of that crazy stuff they did. Here's the other thing too. And I wrote this in uh, 10 things. I think, I think last week or the week before and kind of my SEC roundup, I was reading up on Florida's new defensive coordinator and that Florida defense. And he talked about, you know, the challenges of playing safety in his system and how much, um, he puts on his safeties, uh, ask them to do a whole lot, which I, I think is a dangerous thing when you're talking about playing Tennessee's offense because nobody attacks safeties in the country more than Josh Heupel does hmm. with the way you spread people out. So th- their safeties first play of the game obviously got confused, got lost. There were a couple other opportunities that Utah missed where the safeties were, were a bit out of position. So um, they have got to clean up that safety spot in, in the next two weeks before Tennessee comes to town. Um, or Tennessee, I think, has got a chance to have some guys running down the middle of the football field because of the pressure they put on the safeties. Starting to feel like LSU from a season ago, Brent. Just let's move it to 11 a.m. kick and let's do mate, let's take over the swamp and, and make this. Not, you know, if it were 11 a.m. or noon kick, that would be a great thing. But it's mm-hmm. gonna listen. Florida fans will be. I mean, Tennessee will have to. They'll have to be ready for a crowd. They'll have to settle in, and and, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, Florida will play uh, much better in two weeks than they played tonight. Um, they're not going to suddenly become the 72 Dolphins, I don't think, in two weeks. But um, they won't make the same um, mistakes, you know, to unforced errors. They won't make as many of those in two weeks as they made tonight for sure. Brent, you do uh, this piece uh, pretty often, especially when the season uh, gets going here, and I always enjoy reading it, uh, the things that you think you know. But I want to know, what does Brent not know about the 2023 Vols? What is your strongest take on, like, I don't know this, and you just won't know until the until the Virginia game gets going? What is the number one thing you don't know about this team? I think it's the offensive line. Um, and mm. what is the offensive line going to be? I, I don't think – I think they're going to be better than what Florida played, what Florida showed, and I think their tempo helps them. Mm. But, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, Virginia's playing four new starters on the offensive line. I think Florida started four new guys on the offensive line. Well, with, with Cooper Nays not going to play in this game against Virginia, Ollie Lane's at center for the first time ever. Mm. Okay, you're going to play Andre Couric at left guard, first time ever. John Campbell at left tackle, first time ever, you know, right tackle. I mean, Jeremiah Crawford's played a little bit over there two years ago before they flipped him to, to left tackle. So he's got a few snaps there, and you've got Spragans. So essentially, in a lot of ways, Tennessee's got four new starters on the offensive line. Now, mm-hmm. more experience, but but they're, they're doing it. Some guys are doing it in a different system like John Campbell, and some guys are doing it in a different position like Ollie Lane. So I, I want to see – how this group fares and, and how they play and settle in as an offensive line. Obviously they're going to get Cooper Mays back at some point. We'll see when that is, but um, those the, the offensive line question was never going to get answered in fall camp. So that's mm-hmm. not a new question. It's a compounding question because of the Cooper Mays injury, but it was never going to get settled and say, okay, this is their line or here, here's the, here's the final the final answer on the offensive line. So, you know, I think that's the biggest unknown right now for me. Um, there's other questions, but for for me, that's probably the biggest that, that I wonder about going into this game. I like it. Uh, Brent, which group cannot afford any other early injuries? 
outside of the offensive line because that's the obvious one but outside of the o-line who do you look at this roster in the early depth chart that was released um that makes you say like this is too thin this it could even be like just one particular free safety strong safety who is it for you that just can't afford an injury or it could really derail what tennessee's going to try and do i think it's the tight end position Hmm. um but because i think ethan davis is going to be a really good player i'm not sure he's ready right now mccollin castles is not yet done it in this system i think he's i think he's a talent i think he's going to be a good player and i think he's going to be fine um, but he's not yet played a game mm-hmm. in the field. And then, you know, you got Jacob Warren. That's it. That's really it. And and the tight end is such an integral part of what they do. Now, they're not going to have a tight end do what Princeton Fant did last year. They won't use a tight end that way. He's, they don't have, he's not going to line up in the eye. and mm-hmm. you know, They're not going to do some of the things they did with Fant. But they want to play with a tight end all the time. Everybody mm-hmm. keeps talking about four wide, you know, get squirrel on the field with Dante and Brew and Ramel Keaton and – no, they, they don't want to do that because that negates the splits. Mm. You put four receivers, if you flank two to, to each side and you and you lighten the box, that negates some of your splits. You take that tight end and you can flex him out to make it four wide or you can bring him in, you motion him in. It forces the defense to react, to mm. do things differently. So if you keep him out wide and they split out wide, all of a sudden they're, they're going to go with a light box. What are you going to see Tennessee do? They're going to run the football. That's mm-hmm. why Tennessee run for over two thousand yards the last two years, right? If you want, if you want to, you need to protect, or you're trying to get a better matchup out there. You motion that tight end, and all of a sudden the the the, the nickelback has to react and come in the box, or you've got to bring the safeties down in, and all of a sudden you tighten up the box a little bit. Well, that gives you the opportunity to go over the top. Mm-hmm. It gives you a one on one matchup out there that you were looking for. So the tight end. And and I know this is the Josh Heupel's largely out of the Brile system offensively, mm-hmm. but the the root of the Brile system and the Heupel system has a lot of the of Mike Leach in mm-hmm. it, and and one of the things Mike Leach always played with was a tight end. He always wanted a tight end on the field because he could motion that tight end and manipulate the defense. So I think tight end is just a value value valuable position for this team. I don't know that you can do everything you want to do with Ethan Davis right now because he's a freshman. And Castles is still learning. So I think that's the position that's really thin that would be of concern, you know, offensively. On the defensive side of the ball, with Elijah Simmons out, um, probably defense, you know, I would say defensive tackle. Um, Probably, Mm. you know, with with Terry gone and with Elijah Simmons out, you probably don't need another injury there. Now, you can slide guys inside and survive, um, but but I don't think you're going to be at your best if you have another – you know, significant injury to the to the defensive tackle position. I think they got depth at linebacker. Um, I think they got depth at corner. Um, I think they have more depth at safety than you'll probably see them play. But but we'll see where that's at. But I, I think they've got, you know, if if Wesley Walker's out and they're playing Andre Turrentine, I think they can. I think they can be okay there. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a. I don't think that's catastrophic. Would you have said uh, that in May? No. No, yeah. because I think Turrentine's had a good a, a good off season. Also, wouldn't I also would have said in May that I wasn't sure. I was surprised Kamal Haddon was still on the team. Yeah, and now he's a starter. Um, is he going to be good to go on Saturday? Like, what is uh, is he going to start? He's going to warm up. We'll see where he goes and, and goes mm-hmm. from there. If it's not him, it's going to be Gabe Judy Lawley. Okay, um, and you know if if something were to happen to Jalen McCullough and and they ended up playing 
Jordan Thomas, would there be some growing pains at safety? I'm sure there would be, but I think in, in pretty short order, you could get settled in back there. Um, so, I mean, you know, those are kind of the positions of, of sort of where I would be like, okay, don't say quarterback, don't say offensive line. On the offense, I'm going to say tight end. On defense, I'm probably going to say an interior lineman. It's probably not going to happen. The Vols are favored by 28 here on Saturday, Brent. But if this game came down to the wire and it got really crazy and it was somewhat similar to the pick game last year, what would your be like if you had to put on your clairvoyant hat here, Brent? Why do you think this game ended up that way? If that's and if that is what happens, if it's 31 34 late, why why did it go down that road? Do you think? Well, if that's the score you're talking about, then it's all on the defense. If mm. it's if it's 13 10, then then why you're there is because your offensive line didn't play well and quarterback didn't play well. So if it's a close game, there's not one reason necessarily that you can pinpoint until you know what the score looks like. Mm. Um, if Tennessee gives up 30 plus points in this game, then there's large red flags for this defense, you know, for the rest of the season, because that's going to be the shocker of all shockers. If Tennessee doesn't score 30 points in this game, there's going to be red flags among Tennessee fans that are going to be like, wait a minute, Joe Milton's not what everybody told me he was going to be this off season and, and this, that, and the other. So, um, then we'll see, you know, I'm going to give you a preview of one of my 10 things for, for Friday, Fans need to remember this. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Okay, and, and what I mean by that is, I mean obviously you got to go win the football game. Okay, if you don't win the football game, we're in a different conversation. Uh, but even regardless of what the score is, careful with your hot takes. Either way, right? Mm. I mean, it's 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 week one. I mean, think back to last year, week one. Right, the defense did not get a sack. Yeah, one point five tackles for loss. And everybody was like, what's the matter? Rodney Garner's group, they can't get anything done on defense. And holy smokes, you know, what is going on? Then the next week they go to Pitt, they get four sacks, six mm-hmm. tack- six or seven tackles for loss. But then the offense doesn't get it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on with the offense? And then it just sort of settles in. And so mm-hmm. what you got to remember is it's a long ways till the end of November. Um, and there's a lot of growing to do. There's a lot of improvement to make. Guys are going to step up and come in out of the blue. I mean, it wasn't like Jalen Hyatt lit it up. I know he scored on the first possession last year, but it wasn't like he he didn't have an Alabama-type coming-out party, you know, mm. the first two weeks of the season. It was all about Cedric Tillman. So, I mean, teams evolve, and, and how this team evolves and improves the first month of the season will dictate a whole lot about what October is going to look like and – um you know, we'll, we'll see where this team goes from there. That's been the fun thing about these last two years is it's a team that has gotten better and evolved. Now, you could make an argument in year one. It took them a little too long to figure out to get Bayless Jones in the slot, you know, and and it took them too long to force the ball to, to Cedric Tillman a bit and, and some of those things. That's fine. Um, but they got better as the year went on as they started kind of finding themselves and figuring out who they were. Last year, obviously, they they figured it out much earlier and got it going after that overtime win at Pitt and um, really started settling in. And and Hendon Hooker became Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt became, you know, a guy who's going to tear it. Looks like it's going to tear it up or certainly be a factor for the Giants week one. And and away we go. Scared that he put Odell's number on. It's a lot of hype now. I don't know if I would agree with that. I, I mean, lay low, man. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, go out there and do your thing. Go back to the locker room. You're, I mean, it's the New York media, brother. You ain't yeah. seen anything like it yet. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not do anything to draw a whole lot more attention to myself than what's already been written about me. There's been way too much written about him to this point as well. And I think, you know, flipping it back to Tennessee, I think Joe's mm. tried to do a good job of that, of just mm. kind of reflecting, talking about his teammates, talking about just being ready to play not getting too caught up in anything because I mean, look, there's, you know, if Joe doesn't play well on Saturday, we all know what the reaction is going to be. It's going to be measured. Like it's going to be, there's not going to be one vol call about Nico Yamaliava the following week. You're not going to have one message board on the general's quarters. Nobody's going to have a post about it, you know? No. And and I think he's not, while everybody is also giving him the hype, right? Mm. Right. Right. I think he's going to do a good job of deflecting that off, making it about this team and kind of, you know, everything about what they do as a group instead of just about him, which I think is a smart leadership move on his part. I just, for Joe, the thing I want to see is like, it's just funny when I like hop on shows talking about Tennessee and stuff. The thing that I find that's interesting is that a lot of people just assume that Tennessee fans are worried about the accuracy with Joe. And that's just not something I'm worried about. I think Joe's going to complete a high percentage of passes this year. He hasn't thrown a pick yet in Heupel's system. Heupel's quarterbacks don't throw picks. You just go through, whether it's Mizzou, UCF, Oklahoma, wherever. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's a good bet that he's going to be fine there. Um, year three in the system. My thing is just the offensive line. Like, what happens if he takes the bad sacks that he took in the Clemson game in high-pressure situations that are... A little bit different like what happens if the left side of the offensive line his blind side's bad and what happens he's not as he's not as mobile as Indian hooker he's not going to make that quick just take off save a possess or save a down um that's just not in his dna i think at this point you kind of are what you are and i think expecting joe to be that kind of quarterback i think it's just it's just not going to happen so can you survive can he do enough to alleviate those issues if Tennessee's offensive line takes a step back and the blind side's not there is he able to read it and feel it and make sure that they're not in third and long because they had a bad sack on one of the first two uh plays of the possession I think that's for me the biggest thing that I'm ready to see and I hope we actually see it against Virginia I hope they get home a couple times and I want to see what Joe does in a in a crowded pocket well, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna give away half of my ten things I think because you that and was I, not the plan. Just to you, let you you, know, but you and I are on the same page. I mean, one of my points that, that tomorrow in, in that story is, I think that I think it's good that that Tennessee's offensive line is going to get tested to a degree mm-hmm. on Saturday. I'm with you 100. percent It's not a good thing for them to be playing two very mediocre defenses that don't that that's not going to challenge them. You know, before they go to Florida. Uh, now Florida didn't look like the most dynamic pass rush team uh, in in their loss t- tonight, but um, you know they're they're bigger, they're they're they physically look better than, than what they looked last year. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing for this offensive line that they are getting a test, um, a better test in, in week one than you would be by just playing another payday game um, to. to you know, the pad stats and give a little false sense of where you are. I agree. Um, do you have a final score prediction? How do you think it ultimately goes? And then do you have an MVP? Who do you think has the best day for Tennessee on Saturday? Listen, man, I give, I've given you half of the This is going up on Friday morning. Folks are going to read the, the column. No, is it going, how early is your column going up, Brent? Predictions don't go up till lunchtime, man. Okay, well, this will be up before um, lunchtime, no, so you can I've save got, that one. I've got, um, I've got Tennessee winning. I think everybody's okay. going to pick Tennessee winning and 
and winning comfortably. Um, you know, I, I think that what gets lost a little bit in Virginia and, and obviously what they went through last year at the end of the year is, is just, just horrific. And um, it, it just a tragedy, of, you know, of just, just, just a crazy, uh, horrible tragedy before that happened when you were talking just about the football team at Virginia, they had a lot of issues. Mm. And Tony Elliott was very, very critical of that Virginia team about their lack of buy-in, um, how they didn't buy in. Um, they, they weren't committed to, to things um, and, and all those, you know, to each other and all that kind of stuff, which I, I thought was really fascinating and it's kind of been lost in the talk about Virginia. Mm. I still feel like Virginia is a – I don't think they're ready to take a giant leap from year one to year two. I, mm. I don't think that they've they've got themselves identified and got their culture established and who they are and all those types of things. So um, I, I think because of that, I think if Tennessee – particularly if Tennessee gets out of the gates early in this game, I think it could get rough on Virginia pretty quick. Um you know, young and he's not young, but a new quarterback and a new system uh, going up a level. He wasn't dominant at the level he was at um, prior to in, in Musket. And um, I, I just think there's going to continue to be quite a few growing pains for Virginia, which is why I think this is a good opponent. Now, Virginia's defensive front, solid. You know, mm -hmm. even though that Chico Bennett's not going to play their best pass rushers. But, again, it'll give Tennessee's offensive front a good test. Um, but I think overall Virginia is still a ways away, which is why I'm surprised they're playing this game because I don't think this game helps Tony Bennett. It's an interesting staff too. It's a lot of Air Force guys, and I've forgotten that he has a lot of Air Force ties. And I got the Air Force helmet over here, Troy Calhoun, friend of the program, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. The Clemson guy has a lot of Air Force guys on his staff. Yeah, he does. I mean, you know, I think that you know when you put your first staff together, a lot of times you you kind of go where you're most comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, one of the questions that people had when, when they were talking about, you know, him for the job, for a job, um, is, is he the right answer? Is he the right fit? And, and that type of thing. Um, and I think I called him Tony Bennett, by the way, instead of Tony. Well, Elliott. there is a Tony Elliott and a Tony Bennett. You did that. And yeah. I mean, they, it's not fair when we are. You know, that's the coach's name, right? Uh, it is late at night. Um, well, hold on. Last night, my co-host Matt Green called. To, uh, he was hyping up Penn State and called him James. Uh, he called him James something, but not James Franklin. And well, I forgot. I mean, you got to be better. You got to be better than that. But no, I mean, I think sometimes you go and and hire the person you're most comfortable with, mm -hmm. the people you're most comfortable with, and and I think that can be a danger um, if you're not careful in in you know, your first staff, you can't hire all your buddies, mm. um, even though, you know, you're looking for loyalty and that type of thing. Now, I, I think his defensive coordinator is good. I think I think they did a nice job mm. last year and, and kind of getting going, and they exceeded everybody's expectations because they were so bad the year before. Um, but, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're a, an assistant, you lean towards the people that you know. And sometimes that can get you in trouble. I think one of Butch Jones's issue was, you know, he probably brought too many people with him from Cincinnati, hmm. which didn't, which didn't probably didn't help him. He didn't have to bring enough uh, real Power Five experience or any SEC experience with him. Um, 
And, and I think when you look at what Josh Heupel did, he brought his offensive guys, which makes yeah. total sense. But you look at his defensive guys, they're from a lot of different places and they have a lot of big conference experience when you, when you look at it. I mean, Tim Banks has been in the Big Ten. Uh, Brian Jean-Marie has been a Big Ten guy. Willie Martinez has been in the SEC before he came. I mean, he was obviously here before. He was at Georgia for years. Rodney Garner, we know. So that was the side of the ball that had a lot of experience, which I think was a smart move. Was that Heupel's idea? I mean, I mean, I would imagine. I don't. I yeah. Mean, you're you're the head coach. You're going to put your staff together. I don't think anybody's making you hire at that point. But but I think it was a smart move by him to bring in some people to help navigate. Of course, he understood the SEC. He had been in this league mm-hmm. as an assistant, and then had gone off to be a head coach. I yeah. think the challenge is when you leave a coordinator's position and you go be a first time head coach. How much has your head coach you've been working for prepared you for the job? Hmm. Um, now, you look at that and you say, well, Kirby Smart's doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. But but remember this about Kirby Smart. Went back to his alma mater. Yeah. Knew a bunch of people. The media, you know, the media handlers down there were there when he was working there. Mm-hmm. So he had some familiarity with some things. Then you look at a guy like Jeremy Pruitt. Clearly wasn't ready to be a head coach. Yeah. How many other guys have come out of the Saban tree that weren't ready for a big-time job, that jumped straight into a big-time job because some group of donors said, hey, we need to go hire the you know a Saban assistant to get mm-hmm. that deal in there. Now, Sam Pittman's done some nice things at Arkansas. Um, so, I mean, sometimes you have some guys who, who have, have done it, uh, but but I think, you know, you have to have a guy who's got a pretty good grasp and a pretty good comfort level in who they are um, and a pretty good understanding of, of what it takes to be a head coach. And I think in some of these places, you get a guy and he's just been in the back room breaking down film, mm. right? And and that's where you end up. That's where you land. And they get to this deal and they're like, wait a minute, I got to do all these other things. I need to be in the back getting a game plan together. Well, that's what your assistants have to do. And I think that's what a lot of Tennessee fans are most afraid of with Hypo, right? When he came in, it was just, is it just going to be offense? Does he know he has to recruit? Does he know he has to do all this other stuff? You yeah, can't but, just be the offensive whiz. But he had been a head coach at a yeah. program that had expectations for success. Um, he wasn't just coming from, you know, being the offensive coordinator, putting up a lot of points in, in, at an SEC school. Yeah. He had head coaching experience. And, and I just think that um, that's really ultimately what Tennessee what Tennessee needed was they needed somebody that had some legitimate head coaching experience. And Jeremy Pruitt did not have it. And, and look, we can we can joke about Butch Jones. It's not like Butch didn't do good things, right? Mm-hmm. He made some bad hires when it come time to to you know some changing on his staff took place. Um, you know, Derek Dooley was a head coach at Louisiana Tech. Yeah. And there's growing pains there, right? And 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 Billy Napier going through those growing pains at Florida right now, you know. Um and and I don't think Billy Napier inherited a great situation. I don't think Dan Nolan gets enough criticism for what he left that place. There's no reason that place should be bad and should be downward in a downward trend the way that it is. Um, you know, and, and then you you know, you look back, I mean, Lane Kiffin wasn't ready. I mean, Look, great offensive mind, but when mm-hmm. he was here first time, Lane Kiffin wasn't ready to be a head coach. He didn't get 
he didn't get the magnitude of little things like the vol walk. That's that seems pointless. What, what do we need to do a vol walk for? Wait, did he really not like the vol walk? He didn't grasp what it, I mean. This is, I mean, Lane Kiffin on his first game day, uh-huh. on game day, went running through campus, went for a morning run through campus, like, <laughs> like through tailgaters and hey, how y'all doing? And like, dude, like, what, 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 are we, what are we doing here? You know, I mean, it was just a, it was different, you know, and, and I mean, look, I think he's handled himself. I think he says too much, you know, and has yeah. any you know, of his own personal opinions probably out there too much, but he's clearly handled himself better in Oxford, Mississippi than he ever did at at Tennessee, but he was young and immature. And so I think that's the hard part is finding who do you find that's ready for the job? That's Mm -hmm. really ready for a job. Um, You know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't for Tennessee. They've had a hard time getting it to work and Mm -hmm. in other places at times it's work. I think it's harder now than it's ever been. Because uh, as what the, the you know he tweeted out, you got a lot of people to manage. It's not just 85 players. You got this big budget, you got you know 70 people working there wearing coaches' shirts. You know, you, you're you're a CEO in charge of roster management, staff management. The last thing you're doing is calling ball. Mm. You know, I mean that's just kind of down the priority list as a head coach. Um, it's different than it's than it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, given the state of, of college football and the direction everything's going right now. I love it. Brent, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at VolQuest.com this week? Well, we've just posted the war room on the general's quarters as we multitask here. That was pretty I was gonna say, when did you post the when did you post the war room? I've been waiting. It was like eight days, by the way. I don't want to get on you, Brent, but I was looking at the math here and I'm looking at eight twenty five and I was like or eight twenty three or something. I don't know that I can count. I mean, nobody I didn't take this job to be a counter. Okay. Yeah. It's the math is the reason I majored in communications at the University of Tennessee is the first math class you were required to take was a class called Math 110 Algebraic Reasoning. Okay. Okay. I took it at Ayers Hall, second session summer school to get acclimated to college. Mm. I went in, I set into the first day of class, and the first two days of class, we discussed in detail what a variable was. Right. You know, what does X mean in solving an equation? And I thought, man, this college thing's pretty good. I can handle this. Mm-hmm. The second math class was a stats class. Uh, that I limped through. It wasn't great, but I never saw pre-calculus. I never saw calculus. I never saw any of those other uh, math things. So, and that's part of the reason why I went communications because I'd have never survived business as a math because of the math. I'd have never got thrown. I'd have never gotten through math. No. So there's a good chance I could have counted seven days, six days, eight days. You know. I'm just over here waiting. It. I'm just like, hey, uh, I, 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 I just need my fix, Brent. I'm just like over here. I'm like, I need. Hey, where is the Chris Cole nugget? Like, where, where it's, it's it's late been, on a Thursday. Where that, is it? We just dropped. We just dropped it. We just. All right. Well, it. I'm recording a podcast with you. I, you're multitasking. <laughs> Listen, man. I like you, but my people are gonna be bad <laughs> if the war room's late. <laughs> All right. Look, I'm one of those people. I should have opened with, where's the war room, Brent? Why are you agreeing to pod appearances when the war room hasn't been posted yet? Well, the pod was going to go at like 1030. And then I get this, hey, man, let's just do it after the Florida game. Hold on. I said, you said 11. You said 11. Well, 11 still gives me 30 minutes to get. Yeah, hold on. It was only ended up being 12. And I was like, I don't want to jump in in the middle. And you were nice. You were like, I'll I'll come up late. But I also didn't feel bad about this because Brent Hubbs made the point where he's like, he's a late. He's a night owl. He'll be up. 
I, you know, oh, I'm just getting started. We can, we can, we can talk plenty because I got the war room posted now. I got yeah. the front page, but I'm, I'm almost there with that. So we're in good shape. So mm. what's on your mind today? We can talk about now. Oh my goodness! Look at, look at Brent Hubs here. You're like lighting up. You're getting, uh, it's almost midnight when we're taping this, and you're just, you're jumping up. You're ready to go. Oh, oh absolutely. I'm, what are you I'm, watching after this, Brent? What are you getting into the rest of the night? Uh, what will I do the rest of the night here? I've got to finish. I do have to finish a couple paragraphs and 10 things. I think, I think I will get okay. that done. Um, I will triple check my spot boards for Saturday to make sure I haven't missed anything on, on those. Mm. Um, and then I will finish with some reading of, of some notes and a little more deep dive into some, um, what my wife likes to call useless information. So okay. I, I will dive into some useless information here before before we shut her down and, and head to Nashville tomorrow and get ready for the balls on Saturday morning. What's your day going to be like on Saturday? Is it just like, or what time does it start? What time do you think it ends? Your day, like how does it start and how long does it end? What What's your Saturday looking like? like uh, we, do, we go on the air with the pregame show at 10 mm. Eastern time. So that's 9 Central. I stay on Eastern time, okay? I never, I never change my clock. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay on Eastern just so I know where I'm supposed to be all the time. Again, math is not my friend, so we've got to stay as as standard as we can stay in my Brent, world. Brent, kickoff is 11 a.m. I uh, <laughs> just want to let you know it's 11, not 12 it's, on Saturday. It's a noon Eastern kick on Saturday. Yes. So um, it was uh, – I will get there uh, – see, we only, I will be there – I will be in – uh, the booth in Nissan Stadium by 8 a.m. Eastern, so that's mm. 7 Central. How many uh, hours of sleep is Brent Hubs going to be running on Saturday morning? I'm going to guess not a high amount. I don't know. I mean, we'll get there about 8, and uh, game's at noon. Uh, new clock rules means the game will be 3 hours and 54 minutes instead of 3 hours and 59 minutes. Um, so game's mm. going to be over at 4 uh, press stuff's going to be done by five, going to write, knock out a few things there, get back in the car, probably, uh, seven, between seven and eight. Okay. Uh, stop. Are you driving back same night or now? Yeah, we'll drive back same night. We'll stop in Carthage. Um, I'll, okay. hit, the, I'll hit the Arby's in Carthage. What's your it's Arby's bad. order? Um, oh, that's, that varies. It could be, it could be a roast mm. beef sandwich. It could be a, um, could be a chicken bacon Swiss. Okay. Uh, um, I, you know, I'm disappointed there's no potato cakes. But then the, the mm. caveat to that trip <laughs> is you mm. got to go over to the Love's gas mm. station. They're at the big truck stop. Yeah. And the Dunkin' Donut in there is a self-serve kiosk Dunkin' Donut that I don't care if you go in at 2 in the afternoon, 2 in the morning, whenever you go in. Um they have the freshest donuts behind the glass <laughs> that you'll ever find. So well, I will, haven't you, you need to wonder why is it so fresh at this loves in uh, middle of nowhere, Tennessee? Why, why is it so fresh all the I time? Because it's a truck stop. They're always busy. So they just mm. cycle them through. So we'll, we'll roll out with probably three donuts. Mm. No cashiers needed there. Everything is a self checkout and yeah. we'll gas up and then we'll head back to Knoxville and then we'll get ready for TV on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And then we've got YouTube show Sunday night, and then Sunday afternoon I'll rewatch the game, and I'll do ten things I think I learned on Sunday afternoon. Okay, so you're missing Gibbs on Friday. Were you there last week for the opening? I was there last week for the opener. It was too many okay. people for me, so I I um, I talked myself onto the sideline and stood mm -hmm. in the end zone and yeah. watched the game there, where it was not very crowded, but mm -hmm. uh, it was a great crowd, and um, obviously.
didn't go Gibbs's way, but it did give them the gate the for the year that they gave them enough for their budget money because <laughs> sled load of people there. I mean, it was packed. It was wow, packed. and a cool deal for for yeah. the new, you know for the new stadium that was finally uh, it's finally done and and up and running back to normal um, up there. So it was cool. It just didn't didn't go the way that the home team wanted, but. That's the way it goes sometimes. It's a little different when you don't have as big of a dog in the fight because I don't have anybody suited up. So I cheer them on, wish that they would win. and hope Well, you that- went to Gibbs too, right? I did, and I hope yeah. that they win. And I yeah. wish them the absolute very best. Um, I'm probably not as emotionally invested in it as I've been the last four years, though, So, mm. uh, which is only normal. But I'm I'm happy that the stadium's open. I'm happy for those kids in the, in the community. And uh, they've got Carnes on Friday night. Um, we might catch part of that on the live stream. See, okay. see what's going on there, as because um, I don't think I'm gonna be hitting Second Avenue for a big party time since I've got to be in the box at 8 a.m. at the mm. Central at that point in time. So uh, I'll probably have a pretty early evening and shut her down pretty quick. So we'll probably watch a little high school football on our computer and call it a day. There you go. A lot of good games tomorrow night. I'll be at Bearden on the sidelines. You might see me uh on that one Bearden and uh it was i was at Bearden now co where the lights went out um uh on the field crazy, for that. it was a crazy game i mean beard Bearden has had two gut wrenchers yes. i mean they had the west game and then the turn around the alcoa game i mean if they don't what if they don't fumble it there or they fumbled it, on the one like they just they get in that was going to be a two touch or two possession lead yes probably With four game. minutes to go yeah and uh, then uh um uh, alcoa went 99 yards down yes. the field. They have this Eli Owens who's gigantic and just yeah. there's some guys where you just look at it and you're like, I don't know why you don't just throw the ball to him over and over again. Yeah. He's just humongous. Like everything is three three guys at once. And Beer and Strong, though, they're they're uh line is good. They have good tackles. Uh Lee Smith's kid is the left tackle, and um he's really good. Um they have two good backs. Uh now they're pretty talented. Like they should have won both of these games. Like the Bearden's a really, really good team. They're the ultimate, the record doesn't match uh match how good they are and they get anderson county they open the year with three straight defending uh state champions yeah and that's an zero and two anderson county team yeah. desperate for a win at, at this point because um and that's you know that'll be a heck of a game that's i mean beard's got a really good defense i don't know how mm-hmm. much anderson county is going to be able to score that'll be the challenge in that one great quarterback isaiah hall transfer from jefferson is under center for anderson county so i'm interested to see how that matchup uh, I am I'm, you know yeah. he's obviously adjusting to a lot of new parts and new things there so we'll see how that goes they had they had, they had a tough opening slate too i mean they opened mm. and then they went to science hill and now bearden so uh for a state champ team there there was no cakewalk for them to, to get things started and then as you mentioned bearden uh josh jones said hey we'll just play anybody that'll play us and yeah he found three that'll play them they just have to be state champions <laughs> But hey, maybe it pays dividends later on because everybody makes the playoffs in the Tennessee uh, high school ranks. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Everybody it's, makes the playoffs. It's, it's like the NBA. It's like the NBA. Yeah. Everybody makes the playoffs, right? I mean, that was the biggest thing for me coming from Georgia. And I see this like Oak Ridge three and seven playoff team. I'm like, what? What do you mean playoffs? Three and seven? What? Yeah. Yeah. You make the playoffs. I mean, there, there's I mean, there's a couple of four team. I think they've adjusted but a couple of years ago. There were a couple of four team, four team regions. Yeah. I mean, the day they issue pads, you punish your playoffs. <laughs> you could have gone over. Yeah. Playoffs because there's only four teams in the region. 
And then you oh. have this made up stuff with these some of these small itty bitty schools who get to play their own private schools and then they're still called state champions at the end of the year. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if this qualifies. I don't I don't know if this qualifies. I don't know what what Webb's doing over there, but I don't think we can call those state champions. I I don't know. I look at some of these slates where I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. But then also, are you going to the so you're not going to go because Austin Price is going to the Brent Brentwood game, right? So yeah, you're I not going to go to that one. I don't know that I'm going to go. Uh, I'll go to that one. I've got a couple of TV things I've got to take care mm. of. A couple, a couple of deals I got to do. I've got to because Hypo's going to be there too, right? Hypo. I don't think he really cares whether I'm there. Although I did stand next to Butch Jones to watch in Memphis to watch. Um, oh gosh, who was the tackle? Who was the five star tackle? Transferred, ended up at USC, I think. What was that kid's name? Anyway. Mine, I'm old. It's late night and I'm old. But anyway, I did stand next to Butch Jones and watch him play. He pushed over a bunch of kids that were like a foot and a half shorter than him. And it it weighed about 150 pounds less than he did. Not Butch Jones pushing down. No, no, no. The the, the tackle did. The tackle did. (laughs) Butch Jones at this high school game just pushing kids away like, get out of my way. I'm here to watch a high school project. There were were kids lined up against against this kid. Golly, I can't think of his name. And, And... he just kind of pushed him over, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really show any footwork or any skill. He just he just kind of shoved him <laughs> down, and that was the end of it. But when you watch these high school games, you don't. Re- some of these guys they don't really have to move. You just have to be oh, in the yeah. way for a little bit. Absolutely, and that was the case there for sure. Just be in the way for yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Ballquest.com. Go subscribe today if you are not already. Brent, always a blast talking. Uh, balls and everything else uh enjoy the weekend safe travels my friend and uh we'll talk again soon drew richmond there it is no recollection but i believe you it took it took that hamster a long time to get that wheels turning in there you can't play it both ways you're like i'm a night owl i'm gonna be doing I'm gonna be writing and then you're just like, that doesn't yeah. mean the hamster's always running full tilt sometimes it's a little slow but you got That's we got him going there oh my goodness like I, we're, we're on the same way I feel better. I only mispronounced one name, but I did remember a name that was meaningless to everybody tonight. So there you go. Never say the appearing on the Chase Thomas podcast is not healthy, not good for the brain. That's right. I'm one. I'm one for two tonight. Had an hey. epic fail, and then I pulled one out, so I did okay. Batting five hundred. That's what we like. That's what. That's uh, that's what you want to do. I'm better but, than the meteorologist. It's a great job, though. Meteorology. That's that's a great job. Um. There you go, Brandon Hobbs. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.